Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. This show presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. Our guest today, Kevin Ingram. We'll talk Vanderbilt baseball, but first, basketball will be the topic as we talk about Vandy's really strong end-of-the-season close, uh, and now the Commodores have a chance against Dayton to make the Elite Eight of the NIT. Kevin appears on the guest line. That's presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, call Taylor or Russell. That number is 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Now on to our interview with Kevin Ingram. Kevin Ingram joins us today. You know him as one of the two play-by-play voices of the Vanderbilt Commodores. Kevin, interesting times. We've got a lot going on at once. you got... The start of SEC baseball play this weekend. We'll get into that a little later. You got spring practices started. We won't hit that today, though we may next week or in a couple weeks. But first and foremost, postseason basketball, I think, is mostly what's on people's minds. And Vanderbilt has closed the season strongly, uh, advanced to the second round of the NIT with a really good second half against Belmont. And now... He's got Dayton at home uh, and, and a chance to get to the Elite Eight. It has been an interesting run the last couple of weeks for the Commodores. Yeah, it really has, Chris. Uh, Vanderbilt, I thought, played really well in the games down in Tampa, the SEC tournament. Of course, to go back a couple of weeks, finished up the regular season with a win over Ole Miss down in Oxford. But then uh, blew out Georgia, which, you know, Georgia was, was at the end of the Tom Green era and then played Alabama. Uh, came back from 15 down with about 14 minutes left in that game and just closed strong and scored 54 points in the second half and won to advance to the quarterfinals. And I thought played really well against Kentucky for a whole lot of the game. Had a little run there uh, around halftime, especially after the break, and led by seven. Uh, Kentucky, Ty Ty Washington uh, got hot, hit some threes, and they kind of did what they do. But overall, I thought there was a lot to feel good about coming out of Tampa. And then on Tuesday against Beaumont, uh, Bruins came out red hot. They were making shots, and Will Richard, the freshman, was really, really good. And uh, Vanderbilt, though, I thought as the game went along, they sort of wore him down. And the big guys were excellent. Uh, Liam Robbins and Quint Melora Brown uh, combined. They had just a monster night. 22 points, 19 rebounds, and five blocks combined. And Jordan Wright continues to play so well at 27 against Kentucky and 24 against Belmont. So uh, it's a lot of fun. And in the postseason, and different teams have different motivation levels when it comes to playing in the NIT. And this Vanderbilt team feels like they're uh, very motivated to try to get to New York, win a couple more games here, and see if we can go play at the Garden. Yeah, you brought up a couple things I wanted to get into. Jordan Wright has just had the best two-game stretch of his career. To what do you attribute that? Um, it's kind of hard to say. He really, He's really had a stretch of good games uh, going back to uh, the end of the regular season and then on into the SEC tournament. He had a double-double against Alabama, which he did more than just what you saw in the box score. He was chasing down loose balls, making saves, and getting blocks. He was just all over the place. He played great in the SEC tournament. Um, I I think he's just playing with confidence. I think he's he'd probably be one to tell you he he's had some ups and downs this season, and I think the coaches have had to kind of uh, 
encourage him and sort of bring him back up a few times uh, as far as his, his confidence and so forth. But, boy, he's just playing so well and scoring at all three levels. You know, scoring down low, he's hitting things from the mid-range, getting into the paint and you know, making some fadeaways and that sort of thing, but also shooting the ball really well from three-point land. I've just been so impressed uh, with Jordan and the way he's played, getting rebounds and just doing all the things that it takes to win. Well, you mentioned the post, too, and, and Malore Brown goes, what, 8-13. and 13. Robbins had 14, and I don't remember how many rebounds, but that's an impressive job because Beaumont's got a, a stud big who I guess is now finishing up a, a stellar four-year career. Yeah, Nick Buzinski is, is one of the best players in the history of Belmont's program, and the, the, the two big guys really did a great job. Belmont had one great big guy, and, and Vanderbilt had two excellent big guys, so uh, they, I think the two was better than one in that game. But uh, Moose got his points, but they – as the game went along, it felt like uh, Vanderbilt's interior defense uh, really really performed well. And, yeah, you combine those two big guys, and they, they didn't really – I don't know that, that they played them together at all during that game. We've seen some of that when they played both the bigs at the same time. But they switched them in and out. And Robin's certainly more of the offensive threat. But Q is a guy who's just one of the smartest players in the team and knows how to rebound and knows how to play defense. And uh, you saw Jerry Stackhouse go, go offense for defense quite a bit as that game uh, developed. But, yeah, the two big guys – we're, we're as good as they've been all season in that game against Belmont on Tuesday. Yeah, what did you make of how that game went? And, and I'm not I'm not saying this to discredit either team. We like to make explanations of Vandy this, this better, and, and I do think it played harder probably the second half. But sometimes it's just Belmont was hitting a lot of shots early, and that didn't happen this, in the second half. And that, that probably had as much as anything to do with it is, is anything. Yeah, and that, that's been sort of a – a bugaboo for Belmont throughout the season is inconsistent three-point shooting. They were red hot at the beginning of the game. Uh, Will Richard and, and Ben Shepard, who had a great season for them, and shot, I think, around 40% from three. But they cooled off a bit as the game went along, and, and Vanderbilt was able to, to get a working margin in the second half, get some three-point plays. Rodney Chapman made a couple big threes. We talked about the play of Jordan Wright, but down the stretch when Vanderbilt had to close out the game it did a great job at the free throw line you saw Robbins get up there a couple times and Scotty Pippen Jr. as well knocked down those free throws and and that was what it took for uh, Vanderbilt to finish the job and yeah I think just playing maybe better defense and Belmont not hitting from three they got open a uh, big factor in the game you know it's been again a good four game stretch for them uh, a win over an Alabama team that's a six seed in the NCAA tournament uh, beating Belmont was a nice win but I think, you know, and then Ole Miss on the road in there, too. But I think maybe the most impressive thing they did was hanging with Kentucky for so long. I, I think Kentucky, in fact, I I'm, I'm, think I'm picking Kentucky in my bracket to win the whole thing. I just thought the way they played them um, a night after a game, you know, in, in an emotional um you know, game where they really had to fight through that. Sometimes we don't have a lot left over. I, I think that might have been as impressive that the one loss as, as any of the three wins would have been. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, Chris. They they really did play well against Kentucky and you know, played with confidence against, as you said, one of the nation's best teams. Uh, I would pick them to go to a Final Four. Kind of looking at their a pretty good draw. But yeah, hanging in there, I mean, Sheedway is certainly the, I mean, he was SEC Player of the Year with good reason and Ty Ty Washington, he's battled some injuries a bit, but when he's on, he's just excellent. And they, they have so many offensive weapons, and I thought Vanderbilt did a good job of, of containing those guys for a whole lot of the night. But Kentucky just had a couple flurries right after Vanderbilt led by seven, and right before the end of the first half, 
they scored a couple baskets in a row and got a steal and a score you know, right there on an inbounds play was big, it felt like. But, yeah, I thought Vanderbilt did a good job. I mean, Vanderbilt played them tough up in Lexington in that second game. Kentucky had the upper hand in the meeting in January down here in Nashville. But in two of the three meetings, I thought Vanderbilt played well against uh, Kentucky. And, and really, you, you look at most of the games in the SEC, Vanderbilt was really competitive. Uh, really, you know, they didn't get blown out any other than maybe at Florida where Commodores just uh, couldn't hit anything in the second half. But for the most part, really, really competitive uh, throughout the SEC season. What did you make of the atmosphere memorial against Belmont the other night? That's the loudest I've heard it, I think, in a while. Yeah, I thought it was great. It, it was really fun. The students, that was as big of a student section as I can remember this season, certainly. Uh, but it was fun, you know, both teams being so close by and uh, students around for Vanderbilt. I think Belmont students were on spring break, so there might have been an even bigger crowd had the uh, the math worked out a little bit better on the, on the schedule. But... Uh, especially with a baseball game going on at the same time next door, that probably uh, divided the crowd a little bit as far as who was going where. But it, it was a great crowd at Memorial. It was super loud. and I, I felt good for the players and coaches. Everybody put in a lot of hard work to just to get to this point. Some people will poo-poo going to the NIT. But for this team, when, when you're trying to make the climb and develop your program, uh, it's disappointing not to get a chance to uh, be in the big dance, but to go to some postseason and continue your season and keep on playing was really big for this group. And I thought the fans did a good job of coming out and letting them hear about it. And now it's official. I think they, they are hosting at two o'clock on Sunday hosting date. Yes. Correct. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that's correct. Uh, it's an interesting situation because Dayton, I believe has another tournament going on in their building. Obviously yeah. they couldn't host yesterday or Tuesday because of the first four being played in their gym. Uh, so they didn't get to play their game against Toledo at home either. They, they would have played that game at home, but they had to go up to Toledo and, and play that one last night. Uh, but yeah, Vanderbilt would have gone on the road had Dayton had an available place to play, but instead Dayton will come here. And so that, that'll be a tough matchup. Dayton's a good team. They've been a really good program uh, for a lot of years. Anthony Grant's done a terrific job there. And uh, they, it always feels like they got a bit robbed a couple years ago when uh, they had Obi Toppin, and they, they were one of the best teams in the country going into the NCAA tournament, and obviously it got canceled, and they missed out on their chance to maybe make a really deep run in the thing and came up just short of going to the uh, the big dance this year. So that will be definitely a tough matchup for Vanderbilt. Well, Dayton had a really weird season because they had three just really awful losses, I think in November, I think one to Austin P, but – I think one, I want to say at Kansas, and had some really nice wins, but it was the the losses that really kept them from going to the NCAA tournament. In fact, you know, you take one or two of those away, and, and they're not playing Vanderbilt. They're they're in the NCAAs against somebody. But, you know, I'm not going to say the seasons were exact because we know the reasons for Vanderbilt's struggles early involved not having some good guys. But, but like Vandy, this is the team that um, played pretty well February, March, I guess, and, and just those early season things that didn't go your way in November um, really shaped the trajectory of, of where they went in the postseason, I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah, I always laugh when people say that the games in November and December don't mean anything. For Dayton, those games probably meant everything. Uh, their chance of getting an at-large bid, you know, as you described, were probably torpedoed in November when they had like four straight losses uh, to start off the year. Then they got things going. They played well in that tournament down in Orlando. They actually played Belmont in the final of that uh, ESPN events uh, at Disney. but And they won, and Dayton won the tournament. But, yeah, it's 
you know, for them, I'm sure they felt like it was an uphill climb throughout the year just to make, you know, make amends for those losses they had right at the beginning of the season. Kevin, I guess if I got one concern, it's Scottie Pippen. Uh, he just didn't look like himself the other night. Uh, that's two games in a row. Uh, we talked about his high usage and how much this team de- depends on him. What are you seeing with him? How does he get his second win back? Well, that's a good question. I, I thought, and Tim Thompson and I were talking about this on the broadcast, against Kentucky and then against then against Belmont as well. I thought he looked like maybe he, he was running out of gas a little bit. Man, you think about how many minutes he's played and the stretch that he was on. He had like six or seven games where he scored over 20 points uh, in, in that one stretch at the end of the regular season and all the way through to the uh, SEC tournament. Uh, but, he, yeah, he – he hasn't shot the ball especially well the last couple of games, but the one thing he typically does is get to the free throw line, and uh, we really didn't see Vanderbilt get to the foul stripe as much as normal in that game against Belmont, uh, except at the end of the game when uh, Vanderbilt was able to close it out at the stripe. But yeah, you hope maybe Scotty, with, with a couple days here between games, you go from Tuesday to, to Sunday, maybe give him a little bit of rest, and he'll, he'll get his legs back and, and be ready to roll, but gosh, he's just had such a tremendous season, and um, yeah, you. I mean, you think about the the contact and the physical uh, play that uh, he he absorbs game in and game out. Uh, the guy's bound to be tired as we uh, get into game thirty five of this season. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast is made possible by my friend Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. And just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville. But he sees regular folks like you and I as well. And what people like about the experience is the ambiance. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. I went in and looked at it myself. That's exactly what it is. It is a relaxing, friendly environment. So whether your dental needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody. Call him at 615-270-2322. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown Nashville, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player, a huge booster of Commodore Athletics. His support as the title sponsor for Season 7 is the reason we are able to do this podcast. Go see Dr. Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him you heard about it here. That was a wild finish between Vandy and Michigan the other night. <laughs> it really was. It's funny, after the uh, the basketball game was over with, I stepped out and uh, sat up in the stands and watched a little bit of the, the baseball game, Vanderbilt and, and Michigan, and uh, it, it looked like the Commodore was going to come up short. They had plenty of chances and even had a chance in the bottom half of the eighth inning when Michigan had 4-2, but... Then you get to the bottom of the ninth, and a, and a big two-run double by Tate Colwick ends up at third base, and then uh, the pass ball brings him home, so a crazy finish, and, and Vanderbilt wins. Uh, we've seen the Commodore score in a wild pitch or pass ball uh, <laughs> in, in key spots before, uh, thinking back to Omaha last summer. But, yeah, that was a crazy finish, and this Vanderbilt team's been on a, a heck of a roll uh, since that Sunday game against Oklahoma State. They haven't lost, and that's been about a month ago. Uh, they won 13 in a row as now they uh, embark on the 30-game journey that is uh, the SEC, and that'll happen against Missouri coming up on Friday. Yeah, you know, it's funny how you you just get to, to thinking you know where baseball's going to go. And I'm sitting there watching the other night. I'm, I'm bringing my laptop over. I'm finishing writing my game story. So I'm, 
I'm not 100% in tune with what's going on with baseball, but I've, I've been watching from the press box and everything. And you know, every time I look up, they got two guys on or the base is loaded and, and don't get that hit. So, you know, they, they get a couple guys on and I'm thinking, well, we, we've seen this all night. And, and I'm thinking, okay, the, the fitting into this game would be Carter Young maybe hitting into a double play. And he hits a ground ball right to second. I'm thinking, there it is. They can't turn it. Um, next thing you know, they got men on the corners, and Colwick just hits a screamer to left, where the left fielder makes probably a bad play on the ball. It gets under his glove, and then you know a couple pitches later, wild pitch, and it's over. That that one just changed everything about the flow of how it had gone all night, in uh, just like the blink of an eye, and it just was. It's one of those that's baseball moments that, that makes the game so fun sometimes, and and also so aggravating. Yeah, I think if you're a Michigan fan, you're probably sitting there going, how did that game get away from us? Uh, kind of felt like they probably uh, were in great shape to have a chance to win and, and score a big road win against a top five team. You know, and for Vanderbilt, <laughs> it's hard not to believe as much as you've seen over these years uh, with, with Tim Corbin now in year 20, which is hard to believe. But yeah, we, we've seen a lot of finishes like that. And uh, you can add a, another one to the list with that uh, victory against Michigan the other night. I just keep watching the pitching, and I'm just – I don't want to be premature here, okay, because the, the tougher games are to come. There are some lineups in this league, in case you haven't heard, um, and you, you kind of hedge your bets until you see that. But my goodness, my impression is their pitching depth is off the charts this year. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. You, you lose Kamar Rocker and Jack Leiter, who are top 10 draft picks, and then you reload with <laughs> a guy like Carter Holton, who's a, just ridiculous. I, I, I was, I've jokingly said he's like a left-handed Jack Leiter when you put him out there uh, on Saturday. But McIlvain uh, has moved into that Friday role, and uh, we'll, we'll see what they do with Sunday. I know I, th- I think Maldonado's uh, uh, been battling it a little bit. Uh, he, he was not available for his start last week against Wagner, so we'll, we'll see where things go with him. I really don't. Uh, have any idea of his status, but uh, man, they keep on bringing those arms out there. Patrick Riley's look good. Uh, I, I still sort of wonder how Thomas Schultz is going to fit into things, maybe in the back end of that bullpen. It, that's, that feels like what his role is going to be, but yeah, you, you know, you got plenty of available people you can put out there and uh, just, it's, it's going to be fun to watch how this thing uh, develops, especially as you get into SEC play. And, you know, as you said, the lineups are going to get way tougher than what we've seen so far. And, it starts this weekend with Missouri, and we'll, we'll go from there. I feel like they're going to gonna hit. I know it's been up and down, but you look across the board at some of the things. Um, you'd like to see them walk a little bit more and strike out a little bit less maybe, but you look excuse me, at the season dominant Keegan's having. You look at the way Enrique Bradfield is coming on. You look at the way that, that Vaz and Diaz get on base. You look at how Spencer Jones is taking a step up. Uh, you look at Tate Colwick's power production, which is back. You look at the depth. Uh, they got kids like Matthew Polk, um, who's been good enough to, to get some playing time. And you look at Gavin Cassis, who's, I, I guess, got the first base job for the time being and really has, has flashed the things that, that earned him the job with the power and things like that. I, I feel like this lineup is is getting to a good spot. Now, you know, look. They they have one of these weekend series where they face a tough staff and and, and maybe they take a step back. But it feels to me, um, and I know people are frustrated with the hitting and running hitters with runners in scoring position, but that comes and goes. 
I, I feel like this is the lineup. I'm starting to see the lineup that I thought they were going to have. Yeah, I, I think when you watch this group, you're, you're seeing, hey, everybody around the country strikes out a lot. That, I mean, that's that's going to continue, uh, whether it's Vanderbilt or, or anybody else. I mean, you're just going to see a lot of strikeouts, especially with the power arms that you see in the SEC. Now, I'm like you. I would like to see uh, guys get on base a little more, or maybe, maybe a few more walks. But I, I think this group is – is more of a line drive hitting group than a power hitting group. And you see certainly some tremendous power at times from Dominic Keegan, who just hits rockets all over the place. Gavin Costas hit a, a home, just a tracer for a home run to right center in that game on Sunday and, and hit one down the line for a double. Uh, I've really been impressed with Spencer Jones. You see him and he's, he's six, seven. You think, Oh, this guy's just one of those, you know, big old dudes who just launches a bunch of home runs, but he's really more of a line drive hitter and his power and uh, success going the opposite way has been really impressive. I'm really happy for that guy. I know he's been through a lot injury-wise to get to this point, but now he's the everyday right fielder, and he's really performing well. I think Bradfield's going to hit and get on base. I feel like you can count on him. Davis Diaz has been so good there right at the top of the order of the freshman. They put him in at third base, and, and uh, he hasn't shown any signs of, of uh, leaving the lineup anytime soon. But that, that first base spot's really interesting. Uh, the the catching tandem of what looks like it's going to be Keegan and Bulger uh, that that's probably going to stay in place. But you know when when you got a lineup and you got a veteran guy like Parker Nolan who's played as much as he has and now he's trouble having trouble uh, cracking the lineup these days. Uh, that that feels like a good problem to have. They I the the lineup to me was never a concern going into the season just given how many guys they had coming back off last year's team. Yeah, I'm looking at strikeouts. There are eight teams in the league that have struck out more times than they have. Now, a couple of those teams have played um, more games than they have, um, but there's a couple teams that have played less also. So I, I don't think, uh, to your point, it's, it's not really out of the ordinary. I think they're probably middle of the pack in that regard. Now, and I'll tell you, the, the concern I have right now is defense, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned about how they throw runners out or how that's going to go. Missouri's going to test them on the base pass. And I really would like to see that error number come down, although I think it will. I believe in the talent they've got there, but, um, you know, my goodness, it, it rose up and bit them again the other night against Michigan. Yeah, uh, I, I'll be interested to see how things go as far as throwing out base runners because Dominic Keegan, I mean, he's done a good job at – He's, he's still unproven as far as being a, a, an everyday catcher at SEC play. Uh, we seen we saw him throughout the season last year at first base, and he came in as a catcher. Jack Bulger came in as a catcher. So th- those guys uh, will be put to the test. And it looks like Bulger's going to be the Saturday catcher uh, when Holton's on the mound and, and Keegan will go the rest of the time. But, boy, that, that was a luxury he had last season uh, with, with, you know, with, with what they uh, had behind the plate and uh, – and Rodriguez, CJ, uh, you know, he, he was so good and just so reliable, uh, throwing out base runners and really controlling the run game and working well with the pitchers. That, uh, that, that, that to me felt like that was a hard piece to replace going from last year to this year. But, yeah, you, you have confidence in Keegan. He's, he's a guy has been around the program a long time, and, he, you know, he knows all the positions on the field and that sort of thing. So we'll see how he performs. But the one thing I like about this team up the middle you got Carter Young and Tate Colwick at short and second. You got Enrique Bradfield in center, and you'll take your chances defensively with, with those guys for sure. Um, pitching playing this weekend, you get the sense Maldonado is not going to be part of it. I don't know where they're going to go with Game Three. I don't know how much that depends on 
what happens in games one and two, for instance, do you do you burn a Patrick Riley for four innings, um, you know, on a Friday or a Saturday? And if you do that, then he's not available for Sunday. Or if you, if you don't, does maybe he get the start there? Does Devin Fitrell have some tank in the gas? I think Sunday, I think they're going TBA, and it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I think so too. You know, it depends on how McIlvain pitches on Friday. You know, McIlvain gets him six or seven innings, and maybe that that makes you think differently about what you do with with Patrick Riley. Uh, you know, Hunter Owens, he's pitched pretty well uh, out of the bullpen, the, the lefty. So I've, you know, maybe have have several options. You know, Grayson Moore started last weekend. I don't know that they would run him back out there, and you know, in the third game of a conference uh, setup, but. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it's going to hinge on how things go on Friday night as far as how things set up for the pitching for the rest of the weekend. Kevin, we covered a lot of ground, got a lot of stuff to cover <laughs> these days. Any parting thoughts before we end the show today? Um, I I got a lot going on myself. I'm actually doing the, uh, the women's NIT game tonight. That's the 7 o'clock start on the uh, Vanderbilt Sports Network. I'll be doing TV for baseball on Friday and Saturday on SEC Network Plus. Uh, 6 o'clock Friday, 2 o'clock Saturday. And then uh, 2 o'clock Sunday, I'll be uh, back on basketball with uh, the Vanderbilt men in the NIT against Dayton. We'll be on the air uh, 1.30 pregame. I know baseball's going to be going on. That's a 1 o'clock start on Sunday. So uh, I was kind of hoping the baseball and basketball games wouldn't be on top of one another like they were back on Tuesday. It uh, might have a chance to do both. I was I was uh, kind of going to gonna do my uh, Kevin Harlan routine. I'm doing both games. Uh, but uh, that's not going to work out that way unless uh, there, there's some drastic time change on one or the other. But uh, it's going to be busy, uh, four games in four days here, but uh, that's why you do it, so looking forward to it. Hey, when, when you figure out where they've hidden the, the pause button, please send me a text and let me know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, good luck with everything, Kevin. Also, before you go, tell people about what you guys have got going on with your podcast, anything else through the school you'd like to promote. Uh, yeah, the podcast, the uh, the Anchor podcast usually comes out either uh, late Thursday or early Friday. And then, of course, Monday we have Commodore Hour. It's at 6 o'clock on the Vanderbilt Sports Network. And that's also available in podcast forum on Apple or Spotify. So you got some options where you can hear uh, Andrew and myself and uh, our weekly shows. Hey, Kevin, thanks for joining us. We'll see you in two weeks. Anytime, Chris. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.